If I may, sir, I've seen things in this house I've never spoken of. I've seen Dormammu, who dwells in the dark dimension. I've seen the Flash entering the Speed Force. And I've seen Zendaya being Michi. And welcome to the Zero Credits Supplemental Reading of 2021's Spider-Man No Way Home, directed by John Watts. My name is John. And I'm Henry. And if you haven't been to a Zero Credits Supplemental Reading before, a little background. Uh, Me and my friend Henry get together to talk about something that we consider to be culturally important, or we just like. Uh, But we do assume that you have seen uh, said work in its entirety before engaging. So we will discuss Spider-Man No Way Home with full spoilers. So if you're cool with being spoiled, keep listening. It's not going to have a lot of like utility to you. Uh, So I'd recommend that you either have seen the movie already or you go see it and come back. But also, you know, let the episode keep playing so we get... Like bumped in whatever whatever algorithm the podcast uh, thing you got us from ranks us. I don't know how the internet works. Wait, so yeah, please pause it if you if you intend to watch the movie first, but don't never come back and not hit play again because that hurts our metrics. So pause it, but come back and eventually hit play again and listen all the way through. That being said let's get into it you could also listen a few times if you wanted to i don't know if that helps us but you know maybe repeat listens are a thing maybe like turn the volume up really loud i don't know if the algorithm cares about that we have no metrics to repeat plays or volume we have no metrics for those okay so just play it once but do see this movie yeah, no, it's a good movie. For, but yeah, it's an interesting movie. Uh, it's a movie that I, I think has some buy-in, uh, John. Oh? I, I think this movie requires a little bit of viewing beforehand. Uh, yes, this is... I'm actually going to say in terms of movies generally, this might be the movie with the most required homework. And... and that sets up an interesting conversation, I think, maybe for the end. But certainly these Marvel movies are setting a precedent of like it's rewarding a viewer that's seen movies that have come out before it to a degree. To a large part, they'll hand wave explanations of things that happened or or things like that. But this one, it doesn't pull any punches. Yeah, in terms of what is required for this movie, I mean, uh, to your point, Marvel movies generally, since the creation of the MCU, reward like a certain uh, intertextual awareness in the audience to be aware of other texts in the corpus, whereas this movie kind of requires that of you and is also about that in a very pointed way. But this is also all built on top of uh, two very good Spider-Man movies. It's crazy to think that for everything this movie does, it still has the skeleton of some of the more successful Spider-Man movies ever made under all this stuff. Yeah, I I think this movie in a vacuum, without two very good, you know, successful Spider-Man stories before it, would not work. If we were being thrown in, 
to this situation without the, like you say, the skeleton, without that framework, I, I think you just don't do this movie. The, the, or, or you do it and you do it so poorly, no one sees another Spider-Man movie again. I, I almost feel as though our conversation about this is going to inevitably include a lot of different works of, I'm going to call it spider art. Yes. Uh, so I, I do want to say that we're probably going to talk about the shape and texture of the, what, what do you even call this it's, trilogy of Spider-Man movies? The the home trilogy, I guess. The the home trilogy. I, I think that we're going to talk about the home trilogy the least. Uh, so I do want to make sure that I'm saying these movies are, are good generally, and I like them quite a bit. Uh, the, but this movie, in a lot of ways, is not about those movies. Right. Well, it, it's super interesting because the, this home trilogy, this Tom Holland Spider-Man trilogy, has had the unique honor and privilege to be the connective tissue of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe throughout three different phases. Like it is, it's the last movie that, that starts, that kind of ends one phase and kicks off another phase. And it's done that three times now. So it's always been in a weird spot in the overall bigger picture. But then at the end of the day, the thing that really makes these home movies really good is that connectively it, it, they work as a, a standalone trilogy as well. Absolutely. And I think you do raise an interesting point because the thing that these movies have over all the other Marvel movies, first of all, they're in a very unique position creatively and legally in that they are Sony Pictures movies yes. uh, made in conjunction with Marvel Studios. And they're not solely the intellectual property of Marvel Studios, but they have the best superhero in them. At least yeah. the best Marvel superhero. The thing is, no one really cared that much about everyone who's been in the Avengers, really. But everyone cares about Spider-Man. Yeah, I Sp feel like the Spider-Man movies have been the ones that the broadest audience can rally around. Absolutely. I mean, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy kind of, in a way revitalized the superhero movie as a genre like before it was a superman batman some black exploitation films that are really good and worth watching and like blade interestingly enough um but yeah the sam raimi spider-man movies kind of brought superhero movies back into the forefront and gave an, they gained enough traction that i really think marvel is like hey why don't we try to do this on our own without selling the rights to our characters off. I mean, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies uh, walked so that additional superhero movies could run. They did something very difficult in that they made something... I mean, at that point, a huge budget superhero movie was a weird gamble no one was really willing to take. And they did it, and there were massive cultural phenomenons. Oh yeah, absolutely. They, I mean, and they, Blade Two, Blade was Blade was also good. Blade and Blade Two were also good, but I mean, Spider Man, the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies are, are you know single handedly held up. What was that band? Um, oh, Chad Kroger slash Chad, Nickelback. Nickelback. See, it, it, yes. it kept Nickelback in the uh, hero. 
It's the number one Chad Kroger hero. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's kept them alive in the cultural consciousness for uh, longer than they should have been, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just phenomenally important movies uh, that gave us the MCU for for all of its ills and also the opposite of ills. All all the good memories. Absolutely. So yeah. So these whole movies are built on the backs of giants. You got Sam Raimi and the, the trilogy of Tobey Maguire Spider-Man that came before it. And then you've got Mark Webb and a couple of movies with Andrew Garfield Spider-Man as well, leading into the whoever directed these uh, No Way Home, not No Way Homes, these Home Trilogy Spider-Man. It, they weren't all directed by the same guy, right? They were all directed by John Watts and John Watts had directed basically nothing other than episodes of the onion news network before. Fascinating. I love that about him. Incredible directorial blow up. Like, wow. I think one of the greatest things about the Spider-Man three series is that they were one person's vision brought to life. And yeah, there was meddling by executives throughout, but at the end of the day, we can say the Raimi trilogy, the Mark Webb duo, and now the John Watts trilogy, like we can call them that because these, it's like a, it's like the George Lucas Star Wars. (laughs) Wait, is it? Singular vision. (laughs) Uninterrupted. Uninterrupted throughout time. Totally singular vision. I gotta say, John Watts did a great job on pretty much all of these movies. Oh, phenomenal! Uh, phenomenal direct, directing like, power, especially this one. Just I don't know, uh, it, like quick high level points that I really appreciate about this trilogy that we're not going to get into right. too much because we haven't ever talked about one of these on the podcast. Is the recasting of J. Jonah Jameson to be an Alex Jones type conspiracy <laughs> theorist fringe nut job. Yes. So good. Yeah, kick him out of the uh, the Daily Bugle, get him out of the mainstream medium, make him go independent, make him go indie and underground, but be like one of those podcast bros in their basement, you know, they're shouting at an audience that apparently he's gathered. That's phenomenal because that's more modern, a more modern take on the on the JJJ character. And I mean, these movies uh, up through the third, maybe this is less true for No Way Home, but Homecoming and Far From Home both had probably two of the most interesting, convincing villains of any of the Marvel movies who actually had like backgrounds. What's fascinating to me about these Marvel movies is that for these Spider-Man movies is that for the most part, Spider-Man is playing cleanup for the trauma caused by other superheroes. Yeah, he's on cleanup duty. It, it, it's really great how this trilogy honestly has given us the best villains in comic book movies lately. Like I lo- the first segment of Homecoming that it introduces us to a uh, tombs the joke the joker <laughs> <laughs> listen they broke a lot of new ground with the spider-man there's the joker uh introduces- i think you thinking of the jolcher <laughs> introduces jacob toombs as the joker god damn it <laughs> 
It's all staying in. It's all staying in. I apologize. I know what word I'm trying to say. (laughs) The vulture. Will will I get it on the third one? Introduces Tombs as the vulture. (laughs) That segment, that opening, it's a cold open to a movie, which is great. I love cold opens. Give them to me all day long. Uh, But it just focuses on like, this is where the villain is coming from. Is he a bad guy or is he just a guy dealt a bad hand who might have chosen the wrong way to go about it? And like, boom, instantly it's like empathetic villain as in the audience is empathetic to the villain. And now we get to watch a villain that we kind of feel for versus the hero that we're going to root for. And that's just such more interesting to me uh, of a plot than this is the evil version of Spider-Man you have to fight now. I mean, it's always so much better when you have a villain that's intensely likable. Uh, and even you you get the two versions, right? You get the villain to Spider-Man, which is the vulture. And then you get the villain to Peter Parker slash every teenage boy, the overreaching, cool, but scary dad yes. uh, of your uh, of your wannabe significant other. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, we've had some great villains in all of these movies, including really, really just Green Goblin really is the only one who's been super. Thomas oh, Hayden yeah. Church, likable. You know what? Know They're all that, fine. Who's Thomas Hayden Church? Sandman. Flint Marco, you mean? Yeah, Flint Marco. Okay, well, I don't know people's name? names. Uh, no, they're they're all great. Uh, but yes, that that is a huge shout out that I'd like to give to these movies. Uh, yeah. They all have the best characterizations of villains. I, honestly, like I, I've, Batman's supposed to have this great rogues gallery. I don't see it. I think Spider Man has the best villains in comics. I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. Spider-Man's villains are great, and these Spider-Man, the, in particular, these three Spider-Man movies really nailed what a Spider-Man villain feels like, which is like weirdly likable, very evil, yeah, but like kind of understandable, even if they're just insane from gas. I mean, who hasn't been driven insane by a little gas before? Who hasn't been locked in a chamber and assaulted with green gas for so long that you kill a guy? <laughs> and also, like, who among us could say... We wouldn't be tempted by the newfound power being dropped in a vat of electric eels. <laughs> yeah, who among us wouldn't be some nerd who just falls into some electric eels? Who among us wouldn't lizard? <laughs> if given the choice. And once once having lizarded, wanted to lizard everyone else. Like this <laughs> yes. is just these this is just the price of being human. I feel like at this point we're we're barely restraining ourselves from the mm-hmm. desire to talk about the villains in this movie, so we might as well get into it. Well, I do want to say one thing about the original the the the, the tome trilogy, and, and that the, online people tear the first two movies apart, and it's the characterization of Spider Man they don't like, not the characterization, but but the uh, the circumstances around the character. They don't like that he's basically like a mini Iron Man because he's got this fancy suit and like he's got all these resources at his disposal to basically just save the day with technology. They're like, that's not what Spider-Man's about. Spider-Man is about being poor. 
sad. And that's where their complaints are coming from. Uh, so I just want to say to all those people who hated the Tom Holland Spider-Man coming into this movie, boy, did the writers listen to you. Yes, I uh, I had similar, have had for quite some time, a similar argument because, you know me, I'm a big spider head. A web head, as, you, as it were. I've never heard the term, but you and I both like very <laughs> big Spider-Man fans. And I had a very similar argument after seeing the first movie where a big reason why people are invested in the character of Spider-Man is because of adversity. And that is why I'm not like super into the Iron Man movies, because if a person just has infinite everything, it's for the most part, not like super compelling to watch except the first one, which is great. Uh, I mean, that's why the character book version of the character is a little bit better because he's also battling crippling alcoholism. Yeah, they did. They really didn't put that in the movie for some reason. Ah, cool strange. Weird. Uh, but I will say that it, it this clearly wasn't planned out from the beginning. But like seeing that occur in slow motion is is certainly an interesting way to go about giving that. To the character. I'm uh, sorry, you're, you're going to need to clarify a couple of that's. Uh, so giving adversity ah. in the way we've become accustomed to for Spider-Man. Right. Uh, making that a slow burn over three movies. It, it is strangely impactful to have a character who becomes Spider-Man, lives as Spider-Man for years, and then has that happen to them. It's almost like this movie is a reverse origin story. It, you know, we start with an established hero who then over over the course of one movie comes to very humble beginnings. Yeah, you're you're totally not wrong. Uh it it is honestly the first the first Spider-Man movie Homecoming is like the it's the climax of a three movie trilogy because he's with the Avengers and he's he's fighting Ant Man and the Winter Soldier is there and then the second one it's a little bit more pared down it's a it's a little bit more and then the first one other than the uh, insane multiverse stuff is like uh it it walks it back through to an origin story you're totally right. And that's why I think it works. So this I, this movie works on so many different levels. But the main part is we don't – I mean one, it, it's mainly about the Spider-Man we're watching. I was going to call him our Spider-Man. That doesn't mean anything in this context. It, it, we're mostly watching this one Spider-Man and this is sort of the end slash beginning of his journey. Mm-hmm. And all of this crazy stuff is built around that. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that does totally make sense. Okay. I I I do it it felt a little odd to me in the theater because everyone who has ever seen any Spider-Man thing and cares cares about with great power must also come great responsibility, etc. Uh yeah, it's one of the most quoted lines in and pop popular culture. Yeah. But it, it's almost it's interesting to me in a way that this character had to be taught that lesson a lot of different ways right at the very end. Yeah. Got his head hit over it time and time again. 
and was taught in, in stages almost, you, you know, I, I don't know how to get into it really, but like taught. It's almost as if this movie was written to teach him that lesson three or four different times. <laughs> yes. At least one for each Spider-Man. Right. Okay. So now I think we can just get right into it. I just wanted to set up the premise, the idea that like, look, all of you people who are whining, I'm, that's mean. All of the people who had valid no, complaints. No, 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 no. I'll stop you right there. People whine about these movies. I, I did a fun little bit where I was trying to like do like the butler from Spider-Man 3 and I was looking up like bad quotes from MCU movies to see if I could put one of those in there. Everyone complains about fucking everything about these okay. movies. Right. You can say whine. I, I, do, I just want to – I really feel like this movie came out of an impetus to address those concerns in a way that left no one happy. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, – yeah, I, I can see that. I don't know. I I like that this movie stood up for a lot, but then – I don't know. I, I wonder ultimately how much good work has been undone. I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it. We'll explore this idea a little bit. All right, so let's get into it. So this movie, uh, it stars Tom Holland. Yeah. And Zendaya. Zendaya? Zendaya is Michi. She's Michi and Benedict Cumberbatch. Those are the three people that it says stars on IMDb. So I'm assuming those are the only three people in the movie. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, it also has uh, John Favreau. Right, he plays Happy Hogan. Can we talk about Happy Hogan for a second? Let's make this whole episode about Happy Hogan. Can we talk about the increasing mortification of one Happy Hogan? I feel like the real the real victim of the NCU is Happy Hogan. I I think like the the way that Happy Hogan started was like like a cool uh like kind of kind of savvy security detail yeah. guy. He was the quippy body bodyguard to to Iron Man. Like that was it. And and now he's just like a overweight guy who can't hold down a relationship with a CPAP mask. Yeah, and he's on the hook for stolen Stark technology that he's definitely going to jail for. Like he's having a bad he's having a bad time. Yeah, he he is not having a happy time. Uh it, it is maybe one of the more interesting character arcs throughout all of these movies cuz he's been in at least in the background of basically all of them. And we've got to see him like really get uh, laying low uh, mm-hmm. over time, which you got you got to appreciate. I I guess, yeah, sure. Listen, I, I, I mean, John Favreau was in Chef, and he slept with Scarlett Johansson. So put him in fiction where he's not doing so great is what I'm saying. Make it even. I, I think, yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening to the character of Hacky Hoagie. Hacky Hoagie. And now he's not even going to be in him because, you know, he has no reason to be. <laughs> he's There's just going to be a whole Happy Hogan movie. Oh, I cannot wait for the Happy Hogan glow up. Oh, yeah. It, listen, they need to replace Spider-Man <laughs> in the lineup. They don't really. Uh, they they need they need to fill it up with something, so it's going to be happy origins. Yeah, let's yeah. That's that's the one people they're clamoring for an origin story to Iron Man's bodyguard. 
Yeah, they're like, no more Doctor Strange, no more She-Hulk, only happy. Step aside, Moon Knight. It's happy (laughs) Hogan time. That's actually how the movie starts. He steps in front of Oscar Isaac and says, step aside, Moon Knight. (laughs) We're We're writing this movie in real time. It's great. I don't know how to start talking about the movie. There's so much. I just have like a a bunch of notes about things that I liked, but like, and I definitely have thoughts about this movie, but it's, it's a hard movie to just talk about. Yeah. Especially cause like we can't, we definitely can't go line by line cause that would take forever. And the Mm. people we're talking to just watched it. They know what happened in the movie. Yeah, it would, it would be silly to do that. Maybe. Okay. I know how to get into this. Uh-huh. I say as I turn away from the mic for no reason. Uh, okay. And each of these movies, apparently, J. Jonah Jameson has been in it. He has mm-hmm. been a character. He has been a factor. This is the movie where he is the main villain. <laughs> uh, you are not entirely wrong. How I mean, am I? How am I? How am I a little wrong? <laughs> there, there is. I mean, there are literal villains, but yes, J. Jonah Jameson is create creates the events that make this movie possible. Also, man, I know it's called attention to in the movie, but if I was a teenager with access to a wizard, I would absolutely ask the wizard to change reality before I made even one phone call. Oh, no, that was a yes. That is an amazing detail. Like it is so well written. It feels like it's ripped out of reality where it's like, wait, you can call them. They sent the letter. Like, isn't that the final say it's like the first time you realize you can make your own doctor's appointment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like your, your world is literally broadening. No. Yeah. I would go to a magic wizard to ask them to change reality before I even thought about trying to appeal. I mean, if you look at, if you look at what happens, J. Jonah Jameson directly responsible for the death of Marissa Tomei. Absolutely, which is so the part that stings the most. It's it's one of my favorite scenes in this movie, not for how it makes me feel or anything like that. It, it's the scene. It's raining, and Spider Man mask off is just watching a a building size Joe Jameson. What is his name? J. Jonah Jameson. Thank you. Is watching a building-sized J. Jonah Jameson blame him for his aunt's death. Yes. And, like, that's where the rage is. That's where the darkness is. Because the guy responsible is now publicly pinning the blame of his aunt's death on him. Like, how do you not go fucking punch a building down with your spider powers? I don't understand how he, how he reigns it in. What I really appreciate, I know that I said one thing that I like about these movies is the recasting as J. Joma, J. Joma, J. Jonah Jameson as an Alex Jones type, but they really, in the darker moments, actually get to the truly insidious parts of characters like Alex Jones, which is blaming innocent people for horrible things that happened in their lives. And obviously, with the movie being shot from a sympathetic perspective of Peter Parker, we can see how wrong all of that is. 
Uh, but to to keep that very real phenomenon in these movies does feel like the writers uh, specifically had an axe to grind against people like Alex Jones. Well, I, even if they're not like taking that sort of agenda to it, they're definitely drawing inspiration from these kinds of people who go on public or national television and accuse parents who have lost children of, of being crisis actors. Like that, mm-hmm. it's, that's the same energy here as pinning the death and the destruction of that building on Spider-Man when Spider-Man was just trying to do the right thing, you know? I mean, honestly, if you look at these movies in aggregate, they kind of, I know we said they have the best villains, but I think they're the only Marvel movies that actually have villains that say anything about modern society. Uh, because the the vulture is, is a critique largely on like government overreach and taking jobs from people and people not being able to make a living wage doing honest work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, so they the, have to turn to crime. The vulture is the most like if there was any villain. Okay, this is going to be a stupidest the stupidest thing I say on this episode. If there were any villains Republicans would get behind the most, it would be the vulture. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? The Vulture is the kind of Republican where I'd be like, I'm not that, but I get it. Right, right. Okay, yeah. moving on. Yes, and, you're you're right, yeah. And Mysterio was a, like, well-tuned, exceptionally well-researched, feelingless media maven who knew exactly how to turn public opinion in his favor and against those he didn't like. And had a years-long plan to do so. Like, Mysterio was TMZ. Oh, yeah. TMZ with the uh, the poison pill or the dead man's switch to ruin the life of the person who stops their plan. Yeah. <laughs> so vindictive to the level of, like, even in death, I will ruin your life. And then, of course, you get the uh, objective villain of Spider-Man No Way Home, which is someone who is willing to do and say anything and ruin innocent people's lives for clout. And I do mean, I, I, I would contend that I am absolutely correct. Joe Jana Jameson, I can't say his name right tonight for some reason. J. Jonah Jameson is the villain of No Way Home. All of the other supposed villains are merely victims of circumstance. They didn't ask to be there. They're, they're, Kind of just sort of falling into the circumstances, the cards that were dealt to them. I will retract my statement. I forgot Green Goblin is a menace. Well, Green Goblin is a menace, but Green Goblin or, uh, God, what's Green Goblin's person name? Norman Norman Osborn. Osborn. Uh, Norman Osborn does not want to do villain shit when he finds himself weirdly in a new universe. (laughs) It's just True. He, he's gone crazy with the green gas. I very the, much the only am, person who sorry. acts in a villainous way that in in a way that is not directly related to green gas is Electro. Yes, who who basically who who is basically <laughs> once they all find out like they they were ripped to another universe moments before their depths like. I think Electro sort of hit the hardest was like, wait a second, but I got my body back. Like I I didn't even have a body when I got ripped out of my universe. Now I got this body and like your electricity is so much better than ours. Mm -hmm. And my power is based on electricity. 
I get it. I get why he basically wants to be a living god. I mean, he finally has the opportunity to use the most of the, this this horrible gifted curse that he's been given. Yeah, because it's true to his character motivations, even from Amazing Spider-Man, because he was a guy who couldn't be seen and had no power and just wanted to be powerful and be seen as a god and get what he wanted. And this universe allows him to do that again. Uh, Whereas you're, you're like Doc Ox. Once you get rid of the problem... Doc Ock is a cool guy. Yeah, he never wanted to be evil. He he was that that inhibitor chip was broken very early on, and the the, the weird AI that lives in those arms just was influencing him to do evil. It's a really fascinating juggling act that this movie does, juggling the motivations of these characters in a way that it does ultimately lead to a physical confrontation with all of them, even including like uh, Flynn Marco. He just wants that box thing because right. he thinks he can go home to his daughter. No, So I, I think some of the best work was done with Flint Marco because w- once he finds Spider-Man, he's like, Peter, it's me. What's going on? Let's work this out. And then once that, that carrot on a stick is, is put in front of him, this is a box. If we push it, they get sent home. He can see his daughter again. He's like, well, fuck you, Spider-Man. The solution I need is right there. I just want to go home, see my daughter again. I don't need you for that. So now I'm against you. Like it, it, All of the motivate – this movie is a master class of characterization and motivation that drives plot. I mean, they do a phenomenal job of, of taking these completely ludicrous characters – and juggling their wants and desires pretty much perfectly. All while insanely ripping characters from movies that are over and extending the life of those characters years later, actors having to slip into roles they haven't played at maximum 20 years for Willem Dafoe. And, and like, it all goes off without a hitch. Everything feels natural Everything feels just like natural extensions of the movies that they're from. What I'm trying to say is the actors in these movies, no matter how small the role, even the lizard who has like the smallest screen time of all the villains, these actors worked their fucking ass off and they did a, a phenomenal fucking job. Yeah, I mean, I, I guarantee you when they came to Reese Ithens about being the lizard again, He's like, I got some stuff going on, so I can't really be in it, but I can do VO for the lizard. And they're like, that's cool. You're going to be lizarded already. Uh, Can we get you for one day? You're just going to say like 10 things. And one of them was, is going to be like, the time has come. And I bet Reese (laughs) Iffins was like, hell yeah. Right. I would love to be the lizard again. And then, you know, later on, they're like, can we get you for one day? We need you for a scene. You get unlizarded. Yeah, you need to stand there and look confused as you are unlizarded and sent back to your home dimension. And I bet they were – this is – we're probably going to say this again, but god damn it, Willem Dafoe is is a singular actor. And this is coming from a long-time Dafoe fiend. Oh, yeah. I Uh, I mean, this is – He is is one of the few actors that cannot – do anything less than his best. He, 
This man, if I would say he acts circles around everyone else, but they're all doing stellar jobs. So it's more like he's just at the front of the pack and they're like a step behind. Not even. They're even with him. But it's just he – the way he portrays Norman Osborn as – like the, the way that they've, they've, they've turned the Green Goblin – problem into like kind akin to like a mental illness i think that was a really great move because then you get that the regular norman osborn who we've missed for all this time haven't seen in 20 years and he's a struggling struggling in this this new world but then we get to see the flip switch and, and what a great moment because we the transition from Osborne to Green Goblin happens with his back turned to the camera, mm-hmm. but you can see it. It you can see the moment it happens. Yes, the moment when uh, Alfred Molina, uh, Doc Ock, says like, "Hey, no more darker half." You can see it, it's in his shoulders. It's in the way he's breathing. He physically transforms himself. And then we don't see that payoff for another scene and a re- another really great scene with spider with uh, the Spidey sense being so loud and, and like coming from every direction. And it, it's a very tense scene that was filmed like very great decisions made until he just does like a little movement and then boom, that's him. And he's like, that's some neat trick of yours, huh? Like, yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal acting by Norman B- Bob Rubin. Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. I one of my favorite things about Willem Dafoe's portrayal of Norman Osborn in this movie is that not only <laughs> is this uh, is this Green Goblin horribly frustrating and disheartening because he's just like cruel for no reason and exactly where you don't want him to be when you don't want like he he is the perfect villain in that way. But his actions and the things that he says, and most notably, I'm I'm very glad that the Green Goblin mask gets destroyed early in the movie so that the only Green Goblin you see is Willem Dafoe's incredible acting, looks pathetic. Oh, yeah. Like he's he's bug-eyed and he can't put his teeth away and his eyes are glazed over and he's sweaty. And you pity him, but he's cruel, (laughs) Uh, and and you, it's the exa- it imparts to you as an audience member exactly how you think Peter Parker must feel a little bit, which is I hate this person so much, and they are a pitiable creature, and they yeah. are extremely dangerous. I shouldn't be punching as hard as I am, but no matter how hard I punch, he just smiles and laughs at me. So I have to punch harder in order to get him not to stop smiling, but to stop being such the big threat that he is. Because these punches have stopped everyone before, and they're doing nothing to him right now. Yeah, not a lot of movies effectively communicate a character that is totally pitiable and horribly dangerous. Uh, And it, it really comes through in his performance. I mean, let's not forget the fact that this movie, this silly superhero movie has like three of the greatest living actors in it in Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina and uh, Andrew Garfield. Like incredible talent is just hanging out in this movie. And of course, uh, Tom Hardy, but you know, (laughs) 
I mean, we 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 would have accepted. I don't know, Benedict Cumberbatch, Marissa Tomei. Um, we would have accepted. Did you say Alfred Molina? Yeah, we would. Have, well, we did accept that. <laughs> we would have accepted <laughs> Jamie Fox. Uh, Zendaya, we would have accepted. <laughs> yeah, actually, Zendaya would probably should probably have taken Andrew Garfield's spot in the ranking, but you know, well, her, her career's you know she's still just getting her start, so we'll we'll see where she goes. Yeah, maybe season day and Tick Tick Boom too. <laughs> Tick Tick Boom was really good. Andrew Garfield is phenomenal. I want to watch that 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 FBI show he's on. I I have never seen a better musical about a narcissist than Tick Tick Boom. Uh allegedly. I don't allegedly. Know. All right. Um so great villains. That so there's a, a great moment in this hallway fight um between Spider-Man and Green Goblin. It's the moment I, I was kind of describing before. Spider-Man is just punching him in the face and Willem Dafoe is just like smiling and laughing. And I had a weird stray thought that really it, – it's it's not valuable. It's not a valuable thought. But William Defoe plays a better Joker as Green Goblin than I think many of the Jokers we've seen on the screen. Yeah, I think Willem Defoe could be a hell of a Joker. Uh, and also that hallway fight, uh, multiple suplexes through the floor by Willem Defoe, which is just great. It's a funny comment that I've seen a, a couple in a couple of places where people note a lot of we- they're just like, "Huh, I don't think MMA film moves would have kind of gelled in the Sam Raimi films." And it's like, <laughs> "What? What? Th- that? How is this your takeaway?" <laughs> that is a that is a strange takeaway. I just liked him getting suplexed through the floor. Yeah, RKO Give me a suplex, and I'm happy. Yeah. And like the what pile drivers or dive bombs, there were other wrestling moves in there that were just phenomenally executed. I, I don't like crashing through floors. Uh, you know, gets gets applause from me. If you're gonna, yeah, have a su- I actually think there were less suplexes and more power bombs. I think you're right. Yeah, no, but if you're gonna have a superhero fight, crash through some fucking floors. Let's just do it. You know, what? Yeah. Stop, stop being. Stop, stop holding back. That's that's what Green Goblin wanted Spider-Man to do. <laughs> stop holding back and kill him to, to corrupt his moral code. Because all Green Goblin wants to do is ruin Spider-Man's day. And boy, did he. All he wants to do is ruin his day and also eat those donuts. Oh, man, he packed his jacket full of them. I love that his little outfit he's wearing. Uh, because... Presumably, he came into that universe wearing the Green Goblin suit because moments before his death, he was fighting Spider-Man right. before getting impaled on his glider. So he came out and he like had to change his clothes and he found the most Green Goblin-ass clothes <laughs> he could possibly find, which is like a big billowy purple scarf and like a green chore coat. Uh, gotta appreciate that. I do wonder though. So, like the feast center, right? That's a Miles Morales thing. Yes, like a Miles Morales yeah. comics thing, right? It is. Yes. Uh, also, that was in the Spider-Man video game. Correct. J. Jonah Jameson was cast into a fringe podcaster weirdo in the video game. Which one did fringe JJJ first?
I want to say it was Far From Home. Okay. Uh, well, no, I, I want so that's the first movie appearance of Friends JJJ. Mm-hmm. So that was 2019, and then Spider Man PS4. Spider Man PS4 was like 2016 or 2018. Uh, Spider Man PS4 was 2018. So technically, the video game did it first by a year, but we don't know when the scripts were written. We also don't know if that was a thing in the comic books at any point. So who is to say who got their inspiration from where? Right. And and honestly, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's all the same property, really. Like, I I mean, there's just reinforcing each other at that point. No one's stealing from anyone. I'm just saying there's a feast center. So where's Mr. Negative? Uh, He's busy running feast. Oh, and then he'll be do. He'll do Mr. Negative stuff later. Yeah. I mean, I'm here for it. Aren't we all? We're all here for Mr. Negative slash Martin Lee. Martin Lee, you got it right. There we go. Nailed Boom. it. Nailed it. Oh, well, and Defoe, I could talk forever about just, I don't know, all of these. Oh, I could talk about the acting forever. I, I think there was a, there's a specific moment where, and, and they touch on this a couple times, uh, so maybe the more interesting thing that I want to talk about first is the villains were obviously populated into this universe at the time of their death. Correct. Because the spell broke and they brought in people who knew about Spider-Man. I people, think. Well, people who knew Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Yes, and the only people who knew that in those movies were the villains because they had unmasked him in one way or another. I want to know why Mary Jane wasn't brought in from the Tobey Maguire-verse. Now, my thinking is uh, she was, and they just didn't. <laughs> like, I don't know. Does the cell phone service work the same? Maybe they just didn't get her because they, they were specifically looking for Peter Parker when they cast that spell. Maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. only bring, maybe yeah. only brought in dudes. <laughs> maybe. Uh, that's a shame, but I know that when they did bring in both Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, they were aged versions of their Spider-Man. That is correct because they weren't pulled from right before when they died because they didn't die. Ah, interesting. So they, I mean, it's magic. So who cares? Right. But so, so what I think it is, it's like, yeah, the magic pulled the most recent copy. It could not copy, I guess, but pulled them from their most recent moments in the timeline. <laughs> and they all, all of the villains were dead, but they had mo- a most recent version of themselves that were pulled in. And then the two Spider-Men who had continued to live on an age were pulled in because they had a more recent copy. What what if it what if it pulled in the genuine most recent version of people who knew <laughs> and just a skeleton came out of a portal? Just a corpse, just a just, rotting just corpse. Just a corpse of Norman Osborn. Yeah, it's it's still pierced by the glider. They couldn't remove it, so they just buried him yeah. with the glider <laughs> the, attached. The glider's still in it. When I cleaned your father's wound, I left the glider in there. <laughs> I didn't know how to get it out. No, there was no, there were no YouTube tutorials for me to look up for glider removal. I loved your father, Harry, so I'm sorry about the glider thing. 
we had an intimate relationship. He wasn't ready to tell you. (laughs) I've seen things in this house I've never spoken of. Like your father naked. Anyway, I love you too. Surprisingly big penis. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone said it, but I didn't believe it. I hadn't (laughs) seen Antichrist. Everyone on the set was confused, and by the set... I mean, everyone in the house, <laughs> which was just me. Why are you ta- struggling to talk? <laughs> Am I talking about Willem Dafoe or Norman Osborne? Am I your butler or an actor? <laughs> this is your this- James Franco. <laughs> <laughs> this is what will drive you to become the Hobgoblin. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, I need to rewatch that scene with the butler. <laughs> yeah, it's really long and weird. You need to watch the more fun edition to uh, to get the additional scenes. Oh man, the more fun edition was great, but it's not really worth talking about. What those eleven extra minutes aren't worth eleven extra minutes of cast. Uh, I mean, so there were a lot more bits with Hannibal Burris, JB JB Smooth, and Martin Starr, which were phenomenal. Uh, there was a whole telecast in there by by the students about uh, Spider Man going to their school with multiple interviews of those the, those people I just named, along with like actual you know friends of, of Peter Parker. That was pretty fun. Uh, there was one more scene with Matt Murdock and Happy Hogan uh, in front of a a, des- a deposition about the stolen Stark tech. Uh, where Happy Ho- Hogan gets an alert on his phone where he watches all the villains enter his 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 apartment while in front of like a deposition, and Matt Murdock goes like, "Stop sweating!" And he's like, "How do you do that?" <laughs> okay, that sounds like more fun. It, it, it brought in more humor. And eventually, the extra scenes ended because the the need for humor, I guess, had been met, and now it was time for deep sadness. I, I gotta say, we we glossed over this, but you want to talk about the cra- people, you know, it's crazy, right, that this Sony slash Marvel movie brings in all these other Sony property things, including eventually Venom. Like, yeah, whatever. That's crazy, right? Yeah. That's you know, really fucking crazy. Matt fucking Murdoch is crazy. Yes, Matt Murdoch played by Charlie Cox from the Netflix Marvel series reprising his role for the first time and in a way that when I first saw it in the theaters, I literally like out loud in the Alamo draft house just went, Oh shit. <laughs> I, I've heard people, Charlie Cox himself said that he saw it and no one made a sound. I can tell you, Mr. Charlie Cox, that in my Alamo draft house, everyone audibly gasped. Yes. Um, so yeah, Come on our show, Mr. Charlie Cox, and we will gasp. We will recreate that moment uh, for you because I'm saddened by that news. I, It was a phenomenal moment. Yeah, we, we will gasp for you. And also, to be clear, we will only talk about your character on Boardwalk Empire. I don't. Sure. I will be lost the entire conversation. Don't worry, just watch the first three seasons of Boardwalk Empire. You'll be fine. Uh, okay, yeah, I'll just go ahead and do that real quick. Uh, but yeah, that was the big reveal to me was because, you know, you see your Tobey Maguire's, your Andrew Garth's on the theater was like, ooh, but Matt Murdock is what really did it for my theater. Oh, yeah. Matt Murdock was, I mean, honestly, that was a really cool moment because it's like, oh, shit, these movies are like connected to stuff. 
Also, I saw some people whining about the I'm a really good lawyer line. I think that line's hilarious, that's actually. A, that's a phenomenal line. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's really good. I think it's really funny, and people complaining about it are babies. Oh, man. I, these are the same people who are complaining about She-Hulk twerk, and I just don't need to know you. I mean, these are the people who are complaining about MJ being... Uh, I'm not going to say we- they're complaining because she's not white, but I'm not going to say that's not why they're complaining. Yeah. Moving on. Um, There's a black Spider-Man out there somewhere. That's a really good line. Oh, it's great. That's a phenomenal I, line. I, say, I, really... I will say they do look at each other for a little too long after that, and it gets a little too cute. I, I just, I really like, you know, his his logic and his reasoning is like, you're from Queens. You do a lot of good for a lot of people, mostly poor people. I just thought you were black. <laughs> and then Andrew Garvey just goes, oh, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's really funny. This is so genuine. He's just like, <laughs> he's bummed out. What, what I love about that is Electro's reply is like, no, nah, it's okay. Like, you should you should be apologizing, but it is okay. Right. Because I'm sure there's a black Spider-Man out there somewhere. I really thought Andrew Garfield when he was doing that like slow nod when they were looking at each other a little bit too long for it to sink in was just gonna mouth Miles Morales. Miles is Morales. Is that who you're talking about? I've seen Miles. <laughs> there's another Spider-Man. <laughs> I've seen things in this house I've never spoken of. Another Spider-Man. Maybe you want to kill him while he's black. Don't do it. <laughs> They'll call you a hate crime. <laughs> I hope you don't do a lot of stuff in the next few years that makes people realize you're kind of a creep. Whoops. Tugs collar, <laughs> Tugs collar, James Franco. We've been—I uh, think we've been avoiding it enough. I feel like we need to talk about the three Spider Men. <laughs> Have we not been talking about the three Spider Men? I think the greatest moments. Okay, so I, this is I, oh, what yes, I what the I really Spider Men as a unit. Absolutely, yeah, what I really want to talk about. Uh, and and I'm, when I when I talk about this, I'm talking to other executive producers. Other people making content out, content out there. I'm speaking directly to you, people. This movie is how you do fan service. It is yes. not gratuitous. It is not flagrant. It is not for the sake of doing it. They built a story around bringing these three Spider Men together, and they make it a, a culminating moment for one of them, and then they redeem the other two through action scenes that are, are, are just phenomenal. Fan service needs to have a purpose. It's not just, well, let's bring in all these things you recognize. So it dopamine spikes. No, let's wrap up shit. We couldn't wrap up because we ran out of time. Let's give more story, more life to established characters that we're bringing into this, to this story. Let's give everyone. It's, the, the whole movie is about second chances. Yeah, I mean, there, there's an old adage that whenever you write a character, you owe them something because you created them. 
Uh, and I think in, in writing this movie and putting these characters in it, the writers did realize they owed something to these characters for pulling them in. They could have just shown up and said a bunch of one-liners, which don't get me wrong, this movie is full of self-referential one-liners. I'm a bit of a scientist myself, etc. But like the fact that these characters got pulled in and got to resolve serious parts about their characters before being sent back to their respective universes. Chef kiss. Yeah. Job. Phenomenal. It it wasn't just like, yeah, there were self-rential web, but there were self-rential. There were the things you said. Self-referential. Self-referential. One-liners. There were those, but they were in con. They were standing in contrast to character development and, and honestly the wrapping up of, of character arcs that were left dangling by poor decision making um mostly for andrew garfield's part <laughs> yeah mostly for andrew garfield never getting a, a third movie due to um executive level decisions and like a lack of general public interest <laughs> well so uh, th- this is one of the the most transient lines that ex- ascends the page and ascends the screen is when Tobey Maguire Spider-Man tells Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, stop with the, like, what is this lame talk? You're amazing. That serves <laughs> yeah. so, because the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, for some reason, granted, I never saw these films. I've never seen Amazing Spider-Man 1 or 2, so I, I, I'm not going to weigh in. But, like, apparently, he was just torn apart online for his performance that I, I think it really affected him afterward. And so having the original Spider-Man tell you as the actor portraying the, the, the second Spider-Man that you're amazing, like, it, it's like we're watching therapy. We're, 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 yeah. This is role play and it, it works and it makes – it touches my heart because in addition to that, it's just wholesome as fuck and we need more wholesome, like, supportive talk. Between our strong male characters, I'm going to be the first to say it. Men need to be more supportive of men. (laughs) I mean, yeah, absolutely. And everyone loves it. Henry, you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you. You, you, In real life, you're so mean to me. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know I am. Anyway, the three Spider-Men. Every moment is a chef's kiss. I, I love it. I, I I totally get what you're saying about the Andrew Garfield. So I have seen, I watched all of the Spider-Man movies uh, maybe a year ago uh, after this movie came out. And a lot of people had real issues with Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Peter Parker because everyone has a fucking opinion about how Peter Parker should act. And guess what, babies? He should act however the writers write him. Yeah, absolutely. Just in the same way that Steve Ditko or whatever the, and Stan Lee or whatever the fuck wrote the first Spider-Man, he acted the way that Steve Ditko and Stan Lee wanted him to act. And additional writers, surprise, will have their characters act in different ways. Yeah. The only thing I know about the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man was that he was more quippy, which is like, that's great. That's the character in my purview. He's nervous, so he cracks jokes. Like, that's that's part of the character. That's all I know about him. I think Andrew Garfield Spider-Man was actually one of the more interesting ones. I think you should give those movies a chance because he was – 
like really physical and quippy, but like kind of cruel and petty in a very juvenile way that like clearly isn't supposed to come across as cool. Yeah. Which you, you rarely get in a Peter Parker. Like usually if you get a quippy Peter Parker, it's a quippy, like unequivocally right Peter Parker. But this is like a Peter Parker is like quippy, but like kind of mean and weird and anxious. Like a like someone who tells jokes to cut the tension, but is like not great with people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Also, his parents have a mystery about him. Yeah, that's the worst part of those movies. I don't know anything about him. I haven't seen him. And they won't come off fucking stars, so I guess I never will see him. Oh, uh, we're we're big stars heads, big fans of Spartacus, Blood and Sand. Uh, no, we're not. I, no. I don't know how we saw those movies. You might have rented them. That's probably it. Anyway, I think that... And, so, after I finished this movie the first time, the uh, the overwhelming feeling I walked away with was, oh my god, thank god I got to see Tobey Maguire again. Like, the... Spider-Man 2 might be one of my favorite movies of all time. If not if not that, it's certainly my most rewatched movie of all time. Uh watched it all the time as a teenager. And watching this movie a second time, like I think Andrew Garfield's actually my favorite Spider-Man in this movie. Because people largely have no reverence for him. He's going through a lot. Andrew Garfield acts his ass off. Oh, that man. scene where he catches Mary Jane and asks if she's okay, then she asks him if he's okay. Phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, but, amazing. Yeah. I From the very start, his introduction in this movie where, you know, people are tossing bread at him. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, I've got the tingle thing. It just doesn't work for bread. <laughs> I think this is something that the movie does really a really good job threading the needle of, which is so like there's a difference between something being intertextual and metatextual. And this is a thing we used to talk about a lot uh, on the podcast when we were a lot more insufferable and had a lot more free time. But like intertextuality is you're talking about texts, right? Like you're talking about things that are intertext like you're referring to other characters and other texts and usually the mcu is pretty solidly intertextual correct that is to say it is talking about the lines on the page and subsequent lines right at no point are we talking about an outside medium or an outside world because uh, it doesn't exist all that exists is what's on the page intertextual and I think maybe I threw around the word metatextual too much in talking about the MCU before, but Spider-Man No Way Home is certainly a metatextual movie because to be metatextual, you must be making a critique of your fiction, not of your world or of no. your text, but the existence of your fiction and other fictions. So by having Andrew Garfield inhabit a character who acts and is perceived in such a way that communicates flawlessly to the audience how we know culture felt about those movies, that's metatextual. Right, exactly, yeah. Because then it's about the, the reception of the character playing within the world of that character, and that character is getting to sort of embody a response to that, that response to it. So it, it's hard to talk about without becoming like a weird loop. That's when you know it's meta. 
Yeah. You, you know it's meta when you're not necessarily just seeing a character, but you're seeing a character and an idea. Exactly. <laughs> being, very, being very well communicated to you. And that, like, this is a character. I'm watching the text. But the text also within it holds the reality of those movies, right. which is really smart. And it's also true for Tobey Maguire, right? Like he's a metatextual representation of Spider-Man slash Peter Parker because he's revered, kind of quiet. Everyone immediately respects him upon seeing him because we all know those movies were good and a huge deal and everyone remembers them. Yeah, and he was the originator of the role. Like he is the original Spider-Man for mm-hmm. these live action movies. And so like – He's done his he's done the work. He's earned the respect. We don't need him to earn our respect anymore in this movie. We just you know like he's here. It's like wow, he's going to he, he's gonna, like what is he going to do? And what he does is impart the, you know, the darkest parts of Spider-Man and, and relates that this is what it means to be a hero to this young bright kid who we've seen we just saw go through the hardest day of his life. But before that, we've seen him go through some pretty hard days, but it was all sort of lighthearted superhero fun. Yeah, I mean, we, we had to see in this movie the character of Peter Parker, as played by Tom Holland, totally destroyed. In, in a lot of different ways. In many ways, this movie is deconstructing oh no i don't want to go down this rabbit hole it is though it's deconstructing deconstructing the idea idea of of spider-man that's what this movie is it absolutely is and and to the point where the culmination of the action is spider-man a beaten bloodied spider-man doing the most brutal moves we've seen him do before who, who punches with full force and dents the goddamn bronze you know captain america shield of liberty or whatever like we've seen him use more force than we've ever seen him use before pick up the glider to recreate fate and kill the green goblin with his own glider that is a deconstructed that is a completely that is not spider-man yeah that that is someone else we're demolishing and deconstructing the character of Spider-Man over time because the Spider-Man we originally get when this movie starts is totally kitted out, like filled full to the brim with ideals. And then by the end of the movie, we you the audience is made to ask, what is Spider-Man without ideals? What is Spider-Man without a suit? Was Spider-Man without Peter Parker? <laughs> Eventually we're made to ask what is this character if no one if everything we know about this character is stripped away what is spider-man i mean and what the great thing this movie does is while it's stripping away spider-man to his his deepest most vulnerable nerve it's giving him the tools to climb out like it gives him finally on screen the line with great power comes great responsibility. And through that, that is the avenue out that the other Spider-Man can use to pull him out of this, the, the deepest pit he's ever been in. So it, it's funny how like while he's being deconstructed and stripped away, he's been giving the tool to rebuild himself and finally make that, that 
the hugest sacrifice I guess anyone could make without actually dying being forgotten by existence. I mean, it does effectively do what every successful, what most successful interpretations of Spider-Man do, which is with the delivery of the line with great power comes great responsibility. It strips everything else away. It's like you are who you are and what are you going to do with it? And at the end, when he is in a shitty apartment in New York city, classic Spider-Man. Oh yeah. Uh, Rin's doing the first too. Great. Taking, taking the GED on the citizen app. Uh, the, the answer that we get is what is Spider-Man without Peter Parker? Spider-Man as an ideal is being responsible for others because you have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to add a, a really great moment. Um, the fact that, cause everyone likes, I mean, the one that is most obvious or was most obvious to me was of course, Andrew Garfield getting to save MJ and, and redeeming himself for the horrible thing that happened to Gwen Stacy but Tobey Maguire Spider-Man gets to prevent Green Goblin from being stabbed by his own glider. And yes. in that way, he gets to re- undo a failure, for better or worse, a failure of, of preventing Green Goblin's death and his original timeline, while also wordlessly just staring into the soul of Tom Holland <laughs> to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. I, uh, most intense Toby Maguire face I've I'm so- ever seen. I'm sorry. If, if I was on the receiving end of that glare, I think I would just break down in tears right there. I don't know if I would have the wherewithal to grab the, 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 the cure being thrown at me. I think I would just break down and cry right there. Cause it's like, that's Spider-Man. Man, disappointed in me. Yeah. Spider-Man being disappointed in me. That, that hurts. That cuts deep. Yeah. It's a great look, too, because it communicates so much. It communicates, like, what have we been doing all this for? Why did we share our trauma and our losses with you and tell you how we became so rageful for you to do this? Right. It's like, uh, it, it's a look that conveys, like, we talked about this. I'm disappointed. And while also being like, come on, man, please. Like, and the, the, I mean, the crazy thing is, like, that's two fully powered Spider Men. I I don't know. Like he's, I don't, there's a lot of emotion there, which is rare. I think for superhero movies where it's usually about one big last fight or whatever. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I will say about all of these Spider-Man home movies is that they do for the most part, reject this kind of, they they reject this arc that all of the Marvel movies seem to have where they try to create like an unambiguous obstacle that must be solved because all of them are complicated. Like Mysterio is complicated because he's pitiable in a lot of ways. Uh, Vulture is obviously complicated. Uh, so I think these movies do carry more emotional weight on average than most Marvel movies. This one, especially. Yeah. Cause you don't want to kill green goblin. Look at him. Look at him. He looks pathetic. I mean, oh, he wait, looks evil. Oh, wait, he stabbed me. Oh yeah. 
Uh, perfect, so, perfect that that happens, by the way. I did read originally, uh, well, they filmed two versions, apparently, of that stabbing scene. And apparently in one of them, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man dies. Oh, boy. I think that would have been a bad move. So I'm glad they went with uh, stabbed in great pain. Please, for the love of God, get him a doctor. <laughs> I That would have felt cheap to me. That's too movie. And yeah. the fact that they went with a version that, that resists that, I feel like, elevates it somewhat. Because you don't dra- – I mean, you're not going to drag in the – it's like bringing in like – I don't – Bringing in uh, Michael Keaton as Batman just to kill him. Like, it doesn't make any yeah, sense. It feels like a waste because, like, to see that character die, I'm sure, would have an emotional punch. But you're not going to be like, oh, no, I'm not going to see the new Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie because he's dead. It's like, of course you weren't going to. Yeah. It's been 20 years. No, he's not coming back. He came <laughs> back for this. I, this was it. This was a once-in-a-lifetime event. You've witnessed it. You were lucky. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like going to a movie and then they bring a character like this is Columbo and then they shoot him in the head. <laughs> They're like, no, Columbo. They they <laughs> they go through the trouble of naming a character just and then instant. Oh well, I mean, folks, go see Bullet Train. Oh no, but but it's like if if the, if there was a movie and they were like, this is. Fox, Mulder, and Dana Scully from the X-Files, huh? And then they just, like, <laughs> garrot them both to death. Like, you didn't think you were gonna see him again, so this, it's not... It doesn't yeah. really have a lot of emotional weight that they this died. This is the weirdest James Bond movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep marching characters into a room to kill them. This is Why a weird... Is, this, is, <laughs> this is... This is... <laughs> this is Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> Bang. I was just like, why is Bones here? I'm worried about Bones. Why is Bones from the show Bones here? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. If a movie does like a fan service thing in that way, I think it also wins because then it's yeah. just like, fuck you, fuck your nostalgia. I want to make something like Space Jam, but for killing off beloved pop culture figures. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. Fictional pop culture figures. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> this is Nicki Minaj. Wait, no! <laughs> That's oh, a real man. person! <laughs> that would be... That would be <laughs> fascinating. I think I think Megan the Stallion is in She-Hulk now or something? That's great, yeah. She, she what if her. Megan the Stallion just got, like, crushed with a bus? <laughs> I mean, like, I love Megan the Stallion. I feel like if, yeah, I feel like if I was famous enough to be like, we want you for one episode in a thing, I'd be like, can you kill me off? <laughs> i like, I'd, yeah, yes, I'll be in it. But also, can I die? Like, <laughs> I just thought that one episode of uh, Game of Thrones were, was really weird when they're like, this is my new knight, Sir Flea of House Red Hot <laughs> Chili Peppers. And they just get shot in the face with an arrow. Honestly, so the yeah, honestly, if the cameo of Ed Sheeran ended with him getting stabbed, I wouldn't have complained. It's really how they should have done it. Yeah. They should have done it like the two people from Always Sunny who are just guards on a boat who you never even saw their faces, but they get murdered. Yeah. That's a fun that's a fun story because they traded episodes, basically. Oh, did they? So the 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 D D 
uh, the showrunners of Game of Thrones oh, got bad. got to direct one episode of uh, It's Always Sunny, and they got cameos in one episode of Game of Thrones. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. It, it was uh, Flowers for Charlie episodes. Uh, actually, unironically, a really good episode. Oh, Flowers for Charlie is an amazing episode. That was directed by D&D of Game of Thrones fame. Wow, maybe they should have brought that to the Daenerys. <laughs> <laughs> They well, should have brought that to the Daenerys. That might be my new ringtone. <laughs> Maybe they should have brought that to the Daenerys. <laughs> anyway, House of Dragons is fine. House of I haven't Dragon. watched it. I haven't watched it. It's fine. Um, do anyway, I have Spider-Man. some last thoughts about this Spider-Man movie? I think I've said what I came here to say. I There's so much more that this movie has to offer that I don't think we can put into words. Yeah. Agreed. I, I mean, there's only so much, there's only so much time for a podcast, but this movie is about the last 20 years of our lives. Absolutely. Like, I mean, just going, I mean, for me, it was just the Tobey Maguire of it all. Like those movies, they would come on FX all the time. I would watch them every time they came on with commercials. It would take hours, but I, I don't know that they were like my childhood afternoons. Th- those movies. I, I don't know if I ever saw one in theaters. Um, I might have seen Spidey three in, in in theaters and then walked out confused. Um, but I just I think they did just a really great job of balancing the the vibes of the MCU, the vibes of the home trilogy, and then paying homage to the, you know, standing on the, the shoulders of giants that came before, just doing everything with the utmost respect and the utmost skill. Like, everyone involved brought their A-game. Even Wong, who's only in one, one scene is great. And the fight, like the MC, the, the most MCU moment is the Spidey versus stranger things fight. Um, Dr. Strange fight. And, and like, even that is done really well. And we get to see the, for the second time in the MCU, we get to see the fucking mirror dimension. I will always mark out hard for the mirror dimension. I think the mirror dimension is cool as hell. I thought that was going to be a way bigger thing than it was, you know, but it's only used. And fights with street-level heroes? <laughs> yeah. Turns out, really expensive, apparently. Mm. Uh, okay. I mean, it, it yeah. looks great. It looks um, phenomenal. I think we should maybe do a, a little deep dive in these after credit sequences. First of all, Tom Hardy... Who, who cares? Okay, so, okay. I want to do, do what I do. I do want to talk about this. When you when you saw it in theaters, did you stay for the uh, all of the credits? Yeah, I mean, it's a Marvel movie. I have to. Okay, do you remember what they did, the move they pulled? Uh, you mean specifically at the theater? Yeah, at the theater. Yeah, they pulled lights. Pulled lights? The lights came up for us before the after credit scene. Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, there's the Tom Hardy one, which is the mid credit scene. But then at the very end, they just played a trailer for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Listen, they're like, we gotta pay respects to Sam Raimi. We gotta, we gotta give the Raim dog something. I guess I was pissed off. Yeah, it, 
I don't think you should end something with it. I feel like an MCU movie has done that once before, but I can't totally remember. Okay. Uh, Multiverse of Madness was 40 minutes of a great Sam Raimi movie, and then the rest, like, pretty pretty heavyweight MCU stuff. But I liked it. I really really enjoyed that movie. You know what? The the the, ending was great. You know what the more fun version did, which I thought was a really great move that should have been in the original version? Mm Mm-hmm. The final after credits scene, after all the credits roll, is a final send-off by uh, Betty, I forget her name, but the student reporter whose news reports you've watched throughout these this whole trilogy, doing a recap of their final, uh, uh, of like, we've done it, you know, congratulations, we're all graduating, let's take a look back on our, our years, and it's a series of photos with Peter Parker either off to the side or something is in front of his face like genius very funny so you wouldn't remember him and i think that just puts the end cap because it makes it real that's that's another thing these this home trilogy has done for the mcu is it may it makes a lot of this cosmic shit real like the second one um far from home where they have to deal with the implications of people returning after the blip and now, on this final this final scene, the final scene of this trilogy, dealing with the realities of an erased Peter Parker, like that's what's good about it. it gives us the everyday shit that we need to make the the cosmic shit make sense. I mean, that's why street level heroes are so important. Yeah, uh, you you have to see what this would actually look like to a human being, which you know. Doctor Strange is great and all, but this is the only movie that made the Doctor Strange stuff feel like actually impactful. Yeah. And not like largely theoretical or contrived. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with Eternals. Like there's the body of a fucking God in the Indian ocean and no one has talked about it yet. I mean, shouldn't that be on a news report somewhere? Yeah. I mean, the Eternals is just like, if you're dealing with something that's like so old and so powerful, it just kind of becomes whatever. Yeah. Like it, it's not, e- it's not easy to properly conceptualize that, but a kid doing a flip and shooting a web injected directly into my veins. Hell yeah. Spider-Man forever. I do hope we get more Spidey stuff. I have no idea. I have not looked in. I, I, a part of me has hated the fact that I know so much about like the Marvel and the Sony deals. So I've stopped looking into insider information and I'm, I'm just waiting for the trailers to drop so I can ignore them until I see the movie. I'm just really excited for this, uh, this new Spider-Man movie they've been teasing, you know, Andrew Tate, (laughs) Spider-Man. Uh, apparently that's a weird misogynistic MMA fighter. I, the only thing I know about him is apparently he's been banned from every social platform in existence. Good. All British people should be. <laughs> is, wait, so is Andrew Tate British? Is is the joke that they're two British Andrews? What's happening? Wait, is Andrew Garfield also British? Andrew Garfield is British as fuck. Tom Holland British. All Spider-Mans are British. Tobey Maguire has been hi- hiding it for years. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a really good job. Yeah, to- to- Toby, not Toby. Andrew Garfield is British. I don't. I don't know if you didn't know that. I had. I truly had no idea. That one. That one does surprise me. Well, he's British. Wow. And Tom Holland looks a little British. Yeah, it's, it's in his ears. I mean, he looks like someone who'd be like, "Oi, me wee suit." <laughs> 
you know? Oi, me but wee I, suit. But Andrew Garfield looks like he'd be like, ah, pizza. Well, he had to learn a Brooklyn accent, or I guess a Queens accent. Yeah, but he has the look of, like, he would say pizza, you know? I guess British people don't say pizza anymore. Then Tobey Maguire looks like he'd be like, adur. Hello. <laughs> uh, Tobey no. Maguire looks like he goes, Gatsby? <laughs> you can't I, live in the past. You're not wrong. You are not wrong. Uh, I have more thoughts, but they can't, they're not articulating. I, I think, honestly, at this point... Nothing. I I think at this point we might have to call it and then everyone forgets about us. This is it. Yeah. So I, I said, if we didn't nail this episode to a wizard, please make everyone forget about zero credits. And he's folks, this is the big surprise. The wizard's been standing behind us and he's just shaking his head. No. Yeah. He, he's very disapproving. We were going to nail this episode to a wizard. But <laughs> since we didn't, since we weren't able to nail the episode to him, he is going to send us not back in time. We're staying here, but everyone's going to forget about us. Yeah, you're going to remember zero credits. It's a weird loophole. You're going to remember zero credits, but you won't remember Henry or John. Yeah, and for some reason, your memories will change to it being a good podcast. So we won. Yeah, we finally had a good podcast. Damn. Everyone's like, man, I feel like there was this really good podcast called Zero Credits. I can't remember anything about it. But don't you worry, dear listeners, because I'm going to walk into your donut slash coffee shops and I'm going to say, you don't remember me, but my name's John, last name redacted. And I am from a podcast, Zero Credits, and I defeated the lizard. And you love me. <laughs> I... <d> <laughs> My name is Peter Parker. You, you don't remember, but I'm Spider-Man. I defeated the lizard, and you love me. <laughs> That's really all he needs to... <laughs> he didn't even do that. Uh, so one one last detail that I think was really good. Uh, he tracks down the lady on the highway, gives that speech, and she goes, You didn't rehearse that, did you, Peter? And he goes, No. What is he doing when he walks up to the oh, coffee shop at the end? He's rehearsing the speech. He's rehearsing the speech. Wow, this movie's perfect. It's a, it's a, it's boom, mic drop. Uh, then web, web split, splat. What's the what's thwip? Web thwip to uh grab the mic back up. It's a I'm, real uh, thwip thwip boom. Andrew Garfield, <laughs> defeater of the lizard. <laughs> Andrew Garfield, come onto the podcast. We'll talk about your time defeating the lizard. Uh, we hope you and please don't hold against me what I said about British people. I didn't realize that you were British. I just want to confirm for my own sake, Andrew Garfield. Middle name? Mormon show? <laughs> oh, you were confused. He's not British. He's Mormon show. Oh. This is confusing. Andrew Garfield. Andrew Russell, Russell Garfield was born in Los Angeles, California, to a British mother and American father. 
When he was three, he moved to the UK with his parents and older brother. He is of English and Polish Jewish heritage. This dude's a dual citizen. Yeah, I mean, if you're three and you move to Surrey, you're probably going to sound pretty British. And basically, probably, yeah, he's British. He's British. Yeah, he's British. He's British. British. All right, we'll talk about your Britishness, Mr. Garfield. Come on, we'll talk. It won't be a Monday. We'll talk about lasagna. Hey-oh, he's heard those a thousand times before. I'm sure he has. And we'll talk about Andrew Cuomo. The New York mayor? Yeah, because his first name is Andrew. Stop linking all the Andrews together. (laughs) No. Andrew, no way home. Everyone who's ever been an Andrew is coming through the the sorcerers, the ruins of Karnax or whatever it was called. We got Cuomo. We got Tate. We got Garfield. We got the Hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) Those are all the Andrews. (laughs) the camera pants over to hurricane force winds and it's like all right calm down hurricane andrew we got we got we got stuff to do (laughs) you're andrew four (laughs) (laughs) oh my god all right um i really enjoy this movie uh we usually do a rating system at the end of supplemental readings that ranges from a weird scale i can't remember but there's also an inverse to that scale that we never use except for in the case of hurricane heist i believe yeah like it love it gotta have it dislike it loathe it gotta have less of it it's it's gotta have more of it like it love it gotta have more of it yeah so in this case uh my gut i'm gonna say gotta have more of it but what i mean is i i my message to people who make movies, this is how you do fan service, tie it directly to characters, make everything matter. John had a really good point. When you write a character, you owe that character something. You can't put anyone in a movie without giving them something to do or a motivation or, or just a complete story arc. So that's what I got to have more of. Not necessarily more of this movie, but more of the the skill and the talent and the time and the passion that went into making this movie translated into other movies so that all movies eventually one day are just as good as this one. I mean, I, I agree. I got to have more of it. I mean, I'd love to see more Spider-Man, but we're really what I want to, what I got to have more of is movies that are superhero movies that aren't like thankless gruel to consume which slowly a lot of these things are starting to feel like this thing really had heart. I loved it. Give me more of that. If you're going to, if you're going to comment on things, comment on them with your whole heart and make sure they go somewhere and don't just make things for the sake of making references to other stuff. Yeah. Don't interpret this movie as fan service. Cause really that's, kind of reductive because what this is, is it's not fan service. It's character service. The the service they gave these characters, the new endings, the, the wrapping up of, of issues, the, the fact that a movie only exists in the runtime it exists with maybe implications going forward, but this is literally giving movie characters a second chance to grow and change and become better people. That's phenomenal, and I would love to see more of that. 
I also got to have more Marissa Tomei. Don't let this be the last time Hollywood pays attention to Marissa Tomei. She deserves more. Yes. Or else they'll be held to May. Jesus Christ. And with that, I think it's time to wrap up the episode. <laughs> I don't even see I don't even see your Jesus Christ on the waveform. I think it was literally subaudible. Uh, but if you want us to hear you, all you gotta do is reach out in our social media, and here it goes. If you want to send us a tweet on twitter.com, please send us a tweet to ZCPC with That's right. Think knows what that stands for. That's right. And if you want to send us an email, just send us an email to email at zerocredits.net. One of us will be there to respond, even though if you can't remember our names, that's fine. Uh, We'll also be on any podcast service you can find our podcast on. Uh, Just to name a few, Good Pods, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, Spotify, just a few. Wherever you listen to us, please leave a rating and review on that service to help more people find their way home, even though there's no way home. But the most important thing you can do is uh, to just face the problems in your life head on and reach out to the people in your life to tell them to listen to our podcast. That's right. Word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. So please tell your therapist, tell your friends, tell people who you seek advice from like mentors or gurus or guides. Zero credits. That's the place where they review Spider-Man No Way Home. Eight months later, we wait until September for no reason other than we were busy at the time. That's right. We got stuff going on and we got stuff on the way. It's all coming to a head here on Zero Credits. So from everyone here at the studios, we would like to wish you a happy week. Uh, uh, Goodbye, I guess. (laughs) Goodbye forever? Question mark. No way home? But they got home eventually. No way... Oh, no way. Come home. Goodbye. <laughs> no way. Home. <laughs> no way. Home. <laughs> They left off the IE. It was supposed to be no way homie. <laughs> no, no. Spider-Man, no way homie. No way homie. Man, every character got to say that at least once in the original homie cut. Oh, I wish I would have saw, saw that. Yeah, Tobey Maguire says it when he gets stabbed. All right, one last scene from the, um, the, the, uh, the more fun edition. There was a great scene. Spider-Man stops a robbery. And like tie, you know, hangs the the villain from. Uh... <laughs> yeah, hangs them. <laughs> Jesus Christ! 
He stops robbery. That doesn't sound like more fun to me. Swearman just makes like a web noose and hangs a guy from a light pole. All right. Oh, I'm dizzy. 11 minutes? <laughs> I'm dizzy. Okay, hold on. Uh, <laughs> he's struggling and kicking and kicking and gurgling for 11 minutes. He suspends the the criminal from the light yes. pole. And uh, a debate breaks out between some bystanders who are like, wait, you can't do that. You're 14 or whatever. Like, you can't – your brain's not fully developed. You can't be making these moral decisions. And then, like, this one guy's like, wait, no, he can. He's Spider-Man. If he doesn't do it, who will? And this, this is a very great scene. But that's when the paint gets thrown on him that he's washing out for, like, the rest of the movie. Oh, does that even get explained in the regular movie? I don't think it does. Wow. Or if yeah, it I does, it's believe. if it does, it's truncated. Can't believe in the more fun edition. Spider-Man hangs a guy graphically <laughs> while Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter plays in the background. For 11 minutes. For 11 minutes. And, this and there's is... a little thing at the bottom that says, We personally paid Gary Glitter. <laughs> Even though he can't get royalties from this, we paid him. 